You may be seated if you like. Somebody asked me, they said I had lists a lot. I don't have a list tonight, so I don't know if that's good or bad. I do have a timer. I promised myself I would not exceed 90 minutes. So let me get that going. <laughs> Thank you, somebody says. Thank you. Praise God. Praise God. Do you like what you feel tonight? Praise God. I really like what I feel. I'm thankful to have an incredible group of young people that are able to take over a service. I want to tell you that that is not something that is common across our organization. It's not everywhere that a youth group could take over a service from start to finish. And I'm thankful that we are blessed here at Lighthouse with a wonderful youth group that is not only able but willing to lead a service. And that's powerful. Amen. Let's give them one more hand. Why don't we? Praise God. kind of hot. Brother Ron. <laughs> praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, I am really, uh, I'm excited about what God is doing in the service tonight. I will tell you there's always a, um, a weight when you take the pulpit, and uh, it's always, it's a big responsibility, not something that you take lightly. And, uh, and I do feel that tonight. I feel a weight. I feel a burden. I want God to do something in this place tonight. I want someone to experience the salvation that I've experienced tonight. I want someone to experience the salvation that my family has experienced tonight. I, uh, of course, we're always as Pentecostals hungry for uh, folks to be saved and receive the Holy Ghost, be baptized in Jesus' name. But I just feel especially strong in that tonight. And I want God to help me to minister uh, tonight, and maybe God will do his work at the end. Amen. And I ask him to help me tonight. Before we pray, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 43. It's not too long, but Luke 23, 32 through 43. And that will be the main passage of Scripture. There's other Scriptures, but that's the main one tonight. It says this in verse 32 of Luke 23. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, I'm in the ESV, if you're looking, uh, they were crucified, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, this chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. In verse 39 it says, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, the other criminal that is, saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And I love this. The criminal said, And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And the title, the subject I want to speak on tonight is this, Limitless Love, Limited Opportunity. There's a limit, 
limitless love and a limited opportunity. Why don't we pray? Lord, we love you tonight. Uh, We're thankful for your love, your mercy, your grace. We're thankful, Jesus, for this opportunity to be in your house tonight. I pray, God, that your word, hallelujah, would go forth as you intend it tonight, Lord. And I pray, God, that it be heard, Jesus, and received. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Wow. Okay. (laughs) There it is. There it is. Should I hold on? No. (laughs) But limitless love and a limited opportunity. There is a limitless love, a limited opportunity. We we are used to limited opportunities. I think we see it a lot. Uh, We have limited time products, limited time sales, discounts, different things that come forward. One of my favorites, while supplies last, I feel like that's a lie. They're just trying to sell stuff. But while supplies last, I, we don't know when that one's going to end, but there must be a limited supply somewhere. So I've got to run to get to that one. When those opportunities expire, they're no longer available to you or I. And when we see a great deal, a, a, a sale, some kind of discount, if we're able to do it, we jump on it because it's, it's a sale. It's an opportunity. I've got, to, I've got to take advantage of that opportunity. They sometimes call this saving money. I have trouble with this. It says if you come here over this weekend, you're going to save tons of money. So that must mean I'm going to walk in there and walk out with more money. But that's not really the way. If that's the way it works, if, by, if you save money by taking advantage of sales, I've got savings accounts in stores all over this place. I've been saving money for years. Praise God. Man, I'm telling you. The people that know me really well are really laughing. (laughs) Okay. But tonight I'm talking about a limitless love and a limited opportunity. God's love is available to you for a limited period of time. You understand that it is an unlimited love, a limitless love, but for you that it's going to expire. For you and me, it's not always going to be available to you. Whether that take place because of the rapture, amen, or it takes place because, well, I guess you expire, right? Amen. But it's only available to us for a limited period of time. So what are we doing to take advantage of this limitless love? And just so you know, I'm not just making stuff up. We know that God is love. 1 John 4, 8 tells us that. We know that God is eternal. Deuteronomy 33, 27 says the eternal God. So if God is love and God is eternal, I think it's fair to say there's a limitless or infinite or unbounded love. Amen. I don't think I'm too far off. But a limitless love is available. Contrast that with you and I, what the Bible says in James chapter 4, that we are just a vapor. We're here one day. We're gone the next. So when you compare those two things, you see that I have a limited opportunity, but God's love is unlimited. It goes on forever. It's eternal. I have to take advantage of that. And I'm hungry, so hungry tonight for someone to experience and feel what I feel in this place tonight, what we felt in this service already. There's a limitless love but limited opportunity tonight. Now, that doesn't just extend to salvation. I know that's kind of where I'm going, but there's there's healing. There's direction. There's guidance. There's so many things that are available tonight because of the love of God. It's not just the salvation that's available tonight. Now, has anybody ever heard of Apple? They make phones. Have you heard of them? They make phones or something. They make like the substandard ones. That's the pastor. That's the pa- You're booing the pastor. <laughs> Praise God. I'm joking, of course. But have you heard the name Steve Jobs? 
Steve Jobs. He was uh, at the beginning whenever Apple came around. Now, just so you know, Apple is older than me. So you think you're like, I got this new Apple. No, that's been around longer than I've been around. Apple was founded in 1976. I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Steve Wozniak, another guy that was there at the beginning. But not many people have heard of a third gentleman that was there at the beginning of Apple. His name was Ron Wayne. You don't hear much about him. He was the third co-founder of Apple back in 1976. In fact, they would really credit Apple with, with him. Actually, he, his, he was responsible for its existence. They say that he designed the company's first logo. He wrote the manual for Apple One, and he's responsible for their existence because, see, Ron Wayne was a little bit older than Steve Jobs, and, and so he was a little bit more mature, a little bit more experienced, and he was able to referee the Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak a little bit as they began with this, this new company. They say that Mr. Wayne wrote the partnership agreement, filed it with the county registrar, and that gave, uh, the, it gave Jobs and Wozniak a 45% share, leaving Wayne with a 10% share. It was less than two weeks later, about 12 days later, Wayne backed out. And he gave back his 10% share. He had been badly burned in business before, and he noticed that Steve Jobs had taken on a lot of debt to finance their first order, and he got nervous. The risk was becoming a little bit too much for him to bear. He understood that Steve and uh, Jobs and Steve Wozniak were much, much younger, had very little, if nothing, to lose. But he was older, and he understood that if things went south, they would come after him uh, because he had the means to take care of things like that. So he walked away. He walked away, and they say that uh, three times in total, not counting this first time, Steve Jobs offered uh, Ron Wayne a position with Apple, and he refused it each time. He had an opportunity three times to work at Apple, and he refused it all three times. They say that his 10% share today would be worth over $40 billion. That's with a B. $40 billion is what that would be worth today. And I, uh, in reading some articles on this, the last time I found someone checking in uh, was 2013. He was 79 years old, lived in a mobile home park in Nevada, and he sold rare coins to supplement his Social Security checks. That's the cost of an opportunity that we don't take. Now, please don't be confused. I'm certainly not talking about prosperity or any. That's not, what I'm, that's not where I'm going. What I'm talking about is the cost of a missed opportunity. For, for Ron, there was just too much risk for him to go forward. He could not stand what could go wrong. He, didn't, he couldn't get past what he might lose if he took advantage of that opportunity. And I wonder just how many times do we let an opportunity pass us by because there's a little bit too much risk. I might lose a friend or two. I might have to not go here or not go there. And we pass up on an opportunity that God offers us, not considering the fortune that we have in God the spiritual fortune that's there, the fortune of heaven, how often we settle for less than what God has for us. Amen? Praise God. There's so many opportunities today, um, so many more, even whenever I was uh, a teenager, which was, again, less time than Apple's been around, just to remind you. But, uh, but there's mission trips every year. We see our kids going on them. I don't rem- I'm sure that was a thing whenever I was a teenager. I don't recall um, those being as openly available. It didn't seem like that whenever I was a kid. I can, I can have information very, very quickly. If I say the words H-E-Y-G-O-O, I'm not saying it because it'll mess up my timer that's set for 90 minutes. But if I say that, uh, I can have information in seconds. I can just ask a question to my phone, and there it is. Those of, other ones of you could say, hey, Siri, 
Anybody's phone pick up? I don't know if I have a voice match anywhere. Everybody's looking. But uh, you can literally be part of a revival on the other side of the planet by picking up your smartphone. Couldn't do that when I was a kid. That's an incredible opportunity. You can watch sermons from years past. You can download books. You can read your Bible without having a Bible. And that Bible that you don't have can be read to you. So you don't even have to read it yourself. We have opportunities around three times a week for corporate worship. We have opportunities for altar calls with like-minded people. We have opportunities for Sunday school, for church prayer, for home Bible studies, and on and on and on. There are so many opportunities today. They're everywhere. But what if because these opportunities are everywhere, we've begun to take them for granted? Could it be that, you know, the human nature says that if I have a lot of something, it becomes less valuable to me? We have a lot of opportunities with God to lay a lot of opportunities in our churches. I just hope that somehow we aren't becoming just spoiled to that and thinking that those opportunities will always be there. I want to remind somebody today, it's a sober thought, but every opportunity that you have that you let pass is one less opportunity that you have. You have a finite list of opportunities in your life, amen? And when we let one pass... We won't get another one back. What opportunities could we be missing out on? What is this limitless love and this opportunity that I have tonight? And I'm going to go a little bit into, this is almost like Bible study mode here for a few minutes, but there's an opportunity tonight for salvation. And, uh, and of course, in the Pentecostal church, we talk Acts 2.38. Somebody can quote that for me. Repent, be bad. Okay, you got it. Repentance, baptism, Holy Ghost, Acts 2.38. But there is something, there's one word that you have to have before that really means anything because those are words on a page that won't do any good for you if you don't have faith. Amen? you got to have faith. you got to believe that it's true, and you've got to commit your life to it. Believing in God and believing he alone is able to save you, this is something that I'm just unable to get past, and I feel like I just always need to remind somebody, there's no chance you will ever earn salvation. No chance. Don't even try. Don't try to, earn, don't try to be so good that I'm going to earn salvation. You're never going to earn salvation. It is just here today for you to accept it. It's just simply available to you. God paid that price, not you. And he's offering that life to you, that new life today in this place tonight. That's faith. You have to believe that God died, that Jesus came to earth and he died for you on that cross that you could have salvation. And then once you have faith, you can move into repentance. Repentance is, uh, Brother Perryman was talking through this on Wednesday night, did a fantastic job, and, and I think really almost every um, sermon or message that we would give should somehow point to the gospel, should somehow point to salvation. That's just, that's what we're about. We should be talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So uh, repentance is literally turning around. It's, we, we, as a kid, you might say people that it's, you'd say you're sorry for your sins. But, and that is you want to be sorry for those sins, not just sorry you're caught. But the thing is you want to be turning around. You're walking a certain path, and you decide that I'm, that's not for me anymore. I'm not going to go towards the dark anymore. Now I'm going to turn and go towards the light. It is a turning away. The Bible says in Acts chapter 3, turn, uh, repent and turn back. There's a turning. There's, a, there's an action there. There's a change that has to take place in your life. And the Bible says in Luke 13 that unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Acts 26.20 20 gives us another image of, of turning. Towards the end of that verse, it says that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping 
their repentance. That's interesting. So you're supposed to perform deeds keeping that repentance. That's an action. That's something you're going to do. You're, you're going a certain path. You're going to do a 180 and go the other way. That is repentance. Amen. Repentance is important because without repentance, you can't move on to the next step. Faith. Repentance. The next step, well, it could be one of two steps, but I'm going to go in order of Acts 2.38. Water baptism. Water baptism is simply immersion in water. If you read through, it's just the word itself means uh, submersion or immersion in water. And we do that in Jesus' name, amen. And we know that John 3, 5 tells us that truly Jesus talking, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So that's, that's pretty clear to me, that if unless I'm born of water and of spirit, I can't enter into the kingdom of God. But You know, maybe we just need to dig a little deeper in. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be born of the water? So we go in and we see in Galatians, we see that in 327, that when you're baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. It's literally an identity change that you take on when you go down in baptism. It says in Mark 16, whosoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Romans 6.4 tells us about the newness of life. When we come up out of the water in baptism, we walk into a newness of life. Is anybody hungry for a new life tonight? Amen. Praise God. And, uh, and of course, I mentioned it's, it's immersion in water. We see when Jesus himself was baptized in Matthew chapter 3, it says that he went up from the water, meaning he must have been down in it. You can't come up out of water if you're not already in it. And then the other example we have of this is Acts 8.38, which we, we read about the Ethiopian eunuch, and uh, Philip was teaching him. He was reading through Isaiah. And the Bible says that he saw water, and he said, well, there's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now, let's talk about that a little bit. There's some urgency there. You notice that, that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading through the Scripture. He said, I don't understand this. How am I supposed to understand it? The preacher shows up and says, well, here's what it means right here. And as soon as he saw water, he said, I need to get baptized. There should be an urgency in our salvation with God. Amen. We should be urgently seeking our own salvation through him. And they said they both went down into the water. You've got to go down into the water. And then it says in one verse later, and then when, it, when they came up out of the water, you can't come out without going down. So it's pretty clear to see that baptism is going down into water in immersion. And, uh, and we'll see more examples later, but we understand that it needs to be in the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus. There is no other way. I would encourage you tonight, if you've been baptized but not like that, you should probably consider being rebaptized. Amen. We should be baptized in immersion in the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. The last step here is spirit baptism that we'll talk through. And that is the spirit of God living inside of you. John 3, 5 again. We know that unless you're born of water and spirit, you can't enter into the kingdom of God. So spirit baptism becomes essential for salvation. Without it, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And what I love About Romans 8, 9, it says this, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. I have debated doing this or not. It's such a cool object lesson. I wanted to do it, uh, so I probably will. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I was able to see this um, from uh, Brother Anthony Babb. Allowed me to see. He knows what's coming. Right? But Brother Anthony Babb shared with me uh, a, a message from his Illinois camp this past, about a month ago or so. And, uh, and, and 
the preacher was talking, and it's Brother Mark Brown, and he, he was talking about spirit baptism. And he said, listen, said, I, any experience you have with God is good. Right? I can't, I can't say, I mean, whatever experience you've had, that's, that's fine. I mean, it's a good thing that you've had an experience. But there's a difference when, uh, in being around the Spirit of God and having it in you. It's different. So when you say that, that I, well, I know I'm saved. I've been around the Spirit. I've been around it. I, I know that I've been in church. I've done this. I've done that. And I know I've got the Holy Ghost. I've got the Holy Spirit living inside of me. I'm starting to regret this. But Mark Brown said there's a difference. There's a difference between receiving the Holy Ghost and being around the Holy Ghost. He said being around the Holy Ghost, not receiving it, being around it is kind of like this. It's on me. The Holy Ghost is on me, all right? It's on me, but it's not. Now it's in me. And we, we are seeking after the Holy Ghost to be inside of us. The Holy Ghost should live in you. It shouldn't just be on you, Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, began to speak in other tongues. So now we need to move into what does it mean? How? What is receiving the Holy Ghost? Now, I will tell you this, full disclosure, I, it's hard for me to understand how God just comes in and, and things. I, don't, I just know what happens. It's there. I read it. I know that it happens, but I'm not supposed to understand everything God does. Amen. Very little. In fact, do I understand the things that God does? But it says they begin to speak in other tongues. And then in Acts chapter 8, we see another time where they had laid hands on them. They received the Holy Ghost. And then there was this man named Simon that said, well, that's pretty cool. I've never seen that before. And he says, can I buy that? I would like to buy that. That, that, that power that you just had where you laid hands on them and they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. I would like to buy that. Now, if he wanted to purchase that, I feel like it was something he hadn't seen before, something different, something that was unique, something that was powerful, and he wanted to buy that. And then we move on to Acts chapter 10, and we see where uh, Peter was talking and, and speaking to the Gentiles, and, and the, the, uh, Peter, were, they were amazed because the gift of the Holy Ghost fell on them. Now, the only way they knew that the Holy Ghost had fell on the Gentiles because it says in Acts 10, 46, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Do you see the picture? When the Holy Ghost comes in, something comes out. The Bible also tells us that what is in your heart will come out of your mouth. Amen? What's in your heart, the mouth speaks. In Acts chapter 19, it says uh, we, we see the story where Paul was in Ephesus, and he found some disciples there, and he said, well, did you receive the Holy Ghost when you believed? And they went on to say, we don't even know there is a Holy Ghost. Now, backing up a little bit, he said, did you receive the Holy Ghost when you believed? Now, the questions asked, they did believe, right? They did believe, but it, they had not yet received the Holy Ghost. So there, there's kind of a thing. Remember, we went back to believing, the faith, believing that. Believing is not enough, folks. Just believing that you're saved doesn't do it. It doesn't do it. The question was asked, did you receive the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said, no, we haven't even heard that there was a Holy Ghost. And he said, into, into what were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, well, John baptized with uh, baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who has come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized 
in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began to speak in tongues. Again, they received the Holy Ghost, spake in tongues. Amen. They're coming together. And it says this in Acts 1.8, but when you receive power, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. I'll tell you this, the Holy Ghost is, it's power. It is power, but it's even more to me than that. It's, it's power, it's, it's a comforter. It's something that gives you comfort. It's a stabilizer. It helps you to, to, to stay anchored, you know, whenever things are going all around you and the storms around you. It teaches you. It allows you to properly interpret the word of God. It, it gives power to live a clean life. It also provides joy and peace that only God can give. And the Holy Ghost will impart love into you. Romans 5.5, 5, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. Can I tell you that God's love is what will save people? God's love will save people. There is nothing like it in this world, and there's not enough of it. We can't, we can't love people enough, amen? God's love is what will save people more than anything else. It's that limitless love that saves, that limitless love that draws people to God, that limitless love that's missing in a broken life, that limitless love that this world needs so badly tonight, amen? Praise God. There's a limitless love tonight, but a limited opportunity. I wanted to, uh, not just me talking about it or anything, but I wanted to ask a couple people that know this is coming. Um, I wanted to ask a couple young people to, to uh, come up and, and share their salvation experience. It's not just that I'm reading words on a page, but this is an experience that happens. It's not just from back in the Bible. This is something that happens now. You can be saved now. You can receive the Holy Ghost now. You can be baptized now. Amen. So Sister Audrey, if she would want to make her, there she is. She wants to make her way up here. I asked her to share her salvation experience tonight in Jesus' name. Um, so how I actually got into church is pretty cool. Obviously, I was like seven, so it was kind of through my mom. But her testimony is awesome. I'm not going to go super into that. But um, we started going to church in Silsby at a Pentecostal church in March of 2006. And um, for like the first week, I hated it. I was like, these people are crazy. I was like, I don't know what they're doing. Like, we wore earplugs because we thought it was just too loud. Me and my brother did. Um, <clears throat> but it didn't, it didn't take very long after making friends and kind of getting to know the church and getting to know it that w you could feel it. Like, I was seven, but I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. So um, I got baptized in April of 2006, so a month later. And I wasn't, like, praying for three hours a day because I was seven, and that wasn't what was on my mind. So, But throughout the time of that, like, I God definitely dealt with me. I remember asking my mom, I think it was like, I don't know, it was a couple months after I got baptized. I was like, mom, why do we wear skirts? Like, what is, like, why do we do that? And she explained it to me. And I remember going to my room and bagging them up. And I remember putting them all in a bag and I went and handed it to her. I was like, well, I guess you're going to go have to buy me a lot of skirts. Like, we get to go shopping because I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to do that. And God was dealing with me. And I, looking back, I got the Holy Ghost in August of that year. And Looking back now, like, God, I mean, God did it. I mean, that's, that's how it happened. It was pretty cool. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Sister Audrey. And God will, that is something that, that is important to even mention. There's things that we could say that there's no way I'm ever going to give that up. 
There's no way I'll ever get past that. There's no way I'll ever. But you get the Holy Ghost. When he comes into your heart, there's things that used to be big things to you that suddenly become little, that suddenly become unimportant. Praise God. Brother Jared, you want to make your way up and give your testimony in Jesus' name? Amen. Well, see, I was born into it. I never had a cool story of where I was brought out of, never did drugs, never did anything wrong in my life. But being born into it meant that church was a mundane, routine task. I was a missionary kid. I went to thousands of conferences, thousands of churches. I wish I could tell you I got the Holy Ghost in some jungle church in Africa where I was a missionary to. But no, I got the Holy Ghost in Mississippi, which I guess is close to Africa, but no jungle and nice roads. But, but I never really realized what church was about. I saw people get the Holy Ghost, but I didn't really care. I was just a kid. I played games in church. I goofed off during church. I slept on the pews during church. I didn't, every, like, I didn't, didn't care what church was about. And so through years and years and years and years of sermons and sermons and sermons, I finally felt convicted when I was about 10 years old. This was at my grandparents' church in Mississippi. Um, there were pastors after they retired from being missionaries became pastors. And it was a small revival Friday night service. And I finally thought to myself, like, why don't I have the Holy Ghost? I've been in church my entire life. Why do I see other people get it and receive? And they talk about how happy they are. And here I am living my mundane, boring life, it felt like. And I never fully grasped it. So I tried to get the Holy Ghost. And I didn't get it the first time I tried. But I then got baptized. So I got baptized on that night. My parents were traveling. I was with my grandparents. So me and my, my sister got to watch me get baptized in Jesus' name in water in their baptismal tank. The water was very cold. So I had gnashing of teeth. It wasn't from the Holy Ghost. It was from very cold water. I remember jumping out of the water as fast as I could and tried to warm up. I didn't get the Holy Ghost that night because I was too cold. So a year later... After traveling a little bit longer, and we went back to Madagascar, renew our visas, I came back to my grandparents' church, stayed with them for a few months. And I remember that was when I finally started trying to do church. I went to did Bible quizzing. That was a great experience. And then finally on a revival night, all, this, all the people around my age, a bit older because I was about 11 at this time, all the people, at the youth at the church was about 12, 13, 14, and they went to senior camp. I was too young, so I was the only kid, and there was a revival going on that week. So I had no distractions for once, normally because kids always distract each other. And so I decided it was the Saturday night, the last night of this revival, the, rep, the speaker was speaking on how he did... Um, he would go on into prisons and preach, and people would receive the Holy Ghost. So in my 11-year-old mind, I'm like, if murderers and sinners and these lowest of lows can get the Holy Ghost, and I still don't have it, what am I? He went to prisons, some high-security prisons, and people in tattoos, big dudes, were sobbing in tears because of the power they felt. And I never felt that power. So I finally made in my mind to walk to the altar. It was me and another person, only two that I walked up. And then I have no memory of what happened. 
I remember an hour, like 35, 40 minutes later, I remember finally coming to after praying for about 40 minutes. And my grandma told me, you got the Holy Ghost. And from that point on, my life has been never, has been awesome. It's lows, highs, there's always lows. But there's, the highs are high. And the lows is just because God convicts you when you do something wrong. I never had that before. I would do something wrong and not care. This time I had those convictions that God puts in your life. So that God is a life-changing story. God, praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Brother Jared. So real life stories, and everybody has their own story. We could all go and tell how what happened whenever God filled us with the Holy Ghost or our baptismal tank stories. Many of us had cold baptisms. Amen. If you had a cold one, raise your hand. It was too cold to get the Holy Ghost. Couldn't do it. Too cold. <laughs> too cold. But amen. I just want you to understand there's, I'm going somewhere because there, God wants to do something in this place. I believe that. And I want to go back to Luke 23 and, and just verses 39 through 43 where it says, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do, not, do you not fear God? Since you're under the same sentence of condemnation, we're here justly. We're here because we committed the crime. We're here because we should be here. But this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, today you will be with me in paradise. It's important for us to understand tonight that you and I are the criminals. We're the ones on the side of Jesus. I know when I used to read this, this passage many, many times, I would think, well, I can't believe my God had to die next to criminals. But now I, I read it again and I think, but that was me. That was me. I was, I'm the criminal. I'm the one that was hanging there. And it's, it's Jesus that didn't do anything wrong, but he paid the price for me. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. There are a limited number of opportunities to take advantage of this limitless love. Tonight. Amen. I'm going to begin to close. And I will say this. Uh, there's a story that kind of illustrates this point a little bit here. But it says this. There's a story told of a young man who wished to marry the farmer's beautiful daughter. He went to the farmer, asked his permission. The farmer looked at him and looked him over and responded, Son, go stand out in that field out there, and I'm going to release three bulls one at a time. If you can catch the tail of any one of those three bulls, you can marry my daughter. The man thought, eh, sounds easy. So he walks out into the field, and he stood in the pasture awaiting the first bull. The barn door swung open and outran the biggest, meanest-looking bull he had ever seen. And he decided that, well, the next bull had to be better choice than this one. So he ran over to the side and let the bull pass through, went out into the pasture in the back gate. The barn door opened again. Unbelievable, he thought. He had never seen anything so big and fierce in his life. It, it stood pawing the ground, grunting, slinging slobber as it eyed him. Whatever the next bull was had to be better than this. So he ran to the fence and let the bull pass through the pasture again and out the back gate the door opened a third time, and a smile came across his face. This was the weakest, scrawniest little bull he had ever seen. This was his bull. This was his opportunity. The bull came running by, and he positioned himself just right and jumped at the exact moment. And then he reached his hand out and grabbed, and the bull had no tail. So he missed his three opportunities to marry the farmer's daughter. I just wonder... I wonder how many times we let the bull pass by. 
Because it's just a little bit too, you know, we come to church and, we, and when things are going on, things are happening and it comes down to an altar call and we're like, well, I'm going to be the only one up there. That's too intimidating of a bull. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to walk up there by myself. I'm not going to try to seek God on my own. I'm, I, I just, it's too difficult. It's too difficult. I'll wait till next Sunday. And the next Sunday comes around and the same thing. I just, I don't know if I can do it. It's just, it's too hard. It's too, uh, you know, there's always going to be next Sunday. So I think I'll just wait for next Sunday. Amen. And we do that. And before, before we know it, we're out of opportunities. There's no more chances for us to receive what God has for us. And I will, uh, one last idea I want to share with you. And I want to thank uh, Pastor for this. We were down at uh, junior camp on Thursday night and he gave a great message. I won't do it like he did because I don't have props. But, um, but uh, the last thing I want to mention to you tonight is that God chases you. God chases you. We know the parable of the lost sheep in Matthew 18, 10 through 14 says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And he finds it. Truly, I say unto you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little sheep should perish and that is backed up in 2 Peter 3.9 where it says but he, God is patient toward us, not wishing that any should perish, that all should reach repentance. I wonder if we could stand all across this place. Praise God. God is willing and God is offering salvation in this place tonight. I wonder if you're thinking, well, God is chasing me. What is that? I don't understand. What do you mean God is chasing me? I don't feel like God is chasing me, so I'm just not sure what you mean like by that, Brother Justin. What do you mean God is chasing me? Can I tell you this, that if you have come into this place tonight and you're sitting in this building, you're on your nice comfortable seat in what must be cooler out there, and you're sitting there on your nice seat and, and you're hearing the word of God, you're hearing a, a message of the gospel, a message of salvation, a message of what God is offering to you tonight. Can I tell you that it's God who orchestrated you being in this place tonight? And it's God that is allowing you to hear a gospel message. It's God that's letting you hear what's available to you tonight. That is God chasing you.